Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Thanks so much for tuning in to Web3 with me. It is our mission here to educate, and we realize that some basics of Web3, like WTF is a digital wallet, might be helpful for you to know. We will be releasing a series of short videos on YouTube and Reels to help cover these high-level topics. We hope they're useful for us, and feel free to leave us feedback. My guest today is Avery Bartlett, who handles short-form videos for socials at Avalanche, aka Ava Labs. Avery has accumulated over 30 million views across all social channels and has grown an account with over 100,000 followers. Avery has a unique background, working as a software engineer at the Home Depot, after an illustrious running career where he was a three-time state champ in Florida, five-time All-American at Georgia Tech, and a professional runner. If you want to learn how to reinvent yourself to be the best in whatever you do, you will love this episode. LFG, baby. Let's start vibing. Well, welcome to the show, Avery. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Happy to happy to be on. It's been a while since I've been on podcasts. And I know I was mentioning I used to have one for like 70 episodes. And viewership aside, everything aside, it was the best thing I've I think I've done because people really underestimate how much value just like putting all your energy into speaking does for you week over week over week. I became just such a good speaker over time. But I'm kind of losing it now, so I'm happy to get back into it. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to start bringing you on over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and over and over, yeah. Well, I usually start these episodes with uh, a question to let the audience get to know you better. Um, it's your sure. founding story, so feel free to start wherever you want. Founding story. Um, so I guess in the context of, of Web3... In the context of Web3, um, like most people, I think in, in 2014, I bought, I bought Bitcoin for the first time. Obviously, it was to buy illegal things on the internet. It was uh, a fake ID. <laughs> the first time ever. I still had some, some leftover. I, I got Bitcoin at like, I want to say it was like $500. And I hodled that all the way to Bitcoin was $3,000. And I sold it at $3,000. I was like, I just 6X'd my money. That was like, did absolutely <laughs> insane at the time. Obviously, now that could have been a lot more. But, <laughs> you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And dabbled, pay attention, um, pay attention to the space um, on and off kind of throughout then, but not really getting into it until this past year, 2020, 2021, you know, it, it got big again. It got in the mainstream again, got my attention, um, really had some deep aha moments with it. Like I know we all have 
Um, dove down into the rabbit hole a lot. <laughs> Still am. It's a very, very deep space. It's very, very fascinating. And eventually landed a job with uh, Avalabs, Avalanche, doing marketing, which has been the absolute greatest thing ever. I've, I've had so much fun in this job. I can't even describe it. Just the, the energy in the space, um, the energy in the team, the energy in the work, just the day-to-day waking up every morning, just getting excited to compete against some of the biggest chains out there, Solana, Matic, and just like wanting to win in a, in a, in a way that's more meaningful than, than I can describe. So um, it's been tons and tons of fun. I love that. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to press you a little bit because we have had a conversation, uh, before this, yeah. <laughs> you have a really interesting background beyond web three. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about, uh, your previous, uh, running background That's uh, right. and, and how that helped build up and, and the various ventures that you had in between that help you get hired. Uh, at, at Avalanche. Mm-hmm. So let's start, let's start back at the, uh, the old days. For sure. You, yeah, for sure. The glory days. So <laughs> basically up until the Olympics this past year. So in 2021, my entire life, literally since I was probably 13 years old, every decision I made was based around, would it help me become a better runner? Would it make me a worse runner? Right. Because I was just obsessive about track and field. So I was an 800-meter runner's middle distance, um, competed throughout throughout high school, you know, did pretty decent in, in high school. I was in Florida three-time, Florida State champ, uh, you know, glory days back then. Went to college at Georgia Tech, worked hard, did decent, ACC champ, five times All-American. Very, very proud of that. But one thing that it did for me that I that is paying dividends right now is so my final year so my four my fifth year the first semester of my fifth year so i did four and a half in college right uh i was good enough to be at like the tail end of being pro so like think of like second round draft pick i was about that good okay and but in you know in pro running in pro any sports you can you can give yourself more value by being more marketable. So I was like, okay, you know, I've been on and off video editing kind of my entire life, just kind of as a hobby. Let me try and just get big on social media, get a following. Cause you know, hopefully I have a good personality and people want to want to see that on top of my performances. And at the time, late 2019, TikTok was just started to get being talked about. Right. It was this really interesting era of TikTok that many social media go through in like the early stages when people just, you know, hear of it. They're like, oh, what's this about? What's this about? There's more demand than there is supply. And what that does is it's this beautiful window in early social media where you can just grow an audience kind of super fast. And I kind of saw that. And there were very, very few track creators, none of them were I guess had as much credibility as I had and I also thought that I could make better videos so I just kind of focused 99% of my brain power on how do I get big on TikTok and I did pretty and I you know I I would say I I accomplished it right I had quite a few videos over uh you know that that got caught in the algorithm um just enough credit to uh to really have the result that I wanted in the pro scene. So eventually got signed by shoe company, 
um, had the worst pro career of all time. Literally, it was so bad. It, you know, ends up, you know, making the Olympics is hard, you know, imagine that. So <laughs> it was absolutely probably the hardest year no and a idea. half. I was thinking yeah, about going it? out next week. I've run a marathon I before. know. Yeah, apparently, it's, you know, <laughs> it's not as easy as it sounds. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, the, the pro cycle, the Olympics it didn't work out for me, which I'm, I'm okay with, you know, I got, I, I got the opportunity. I, I don't think I, I, don't, I wouldn't have done anything different. I, I absolutely gave it all I had. Um, and then once that ended, you know, it was time to find, all right, now what else is Avery Bartlett? You know, cause you hear about like the, uh, the identity crisis of athletes once they retire, especially pro athletes, you know, you, you, you push your career as hard as you can. You, from such a young age, you are just like the man in the room, you know, you, you have just such such an identity and such a valuable identity, right? Like, you know, kind of like being an athlete's cool, whatnot. But then once you retire, uh, you know, you kind of have to start over. You kind of have to build yourself again. Um, and I kind of like had, I like studied it a little bit. I like was listening to podcasts about like, how did athletes deal with retiring? How did athletes deal with retiring? And the answer is simple. It's, you know, it's what you hear with most things in life. It's just like, be grateful for what you had and get the mindset that you had when you were a freshman in high school or a freshman or, you know, whenever you first started picking up the sport. So in my mind, I had just gone close to the top of one mountain, fell absolutely off it. I'm, I'm kind of near the bottom of something else. And I had to just, I had to pick a direction of like, what other mountain do I want to climb? And as I said, crypto caught my attention. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to get in this space. As general as that, I said, I'm going to get into this space very, very broad. I didn't have a direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do in this space. I just wanted to get in this space. So I turned my brain off and I just started just like thinking with my hands. So any hackathon I'd see, I would see like, all right, I'm going to do that. I would think maybe five seconds about an idea and big, I'm just going to start building in this direction. It's probably going to be bad, but I'm probably going to learn a lot. I'm probably going to learn of what I like doing. I'm probably learn about what I don't like doing. And so I kind of describe it as a, a hill climbing algorithm. So in computer science, you have something called a randomized hill climbing algorithm. And basically, so you have you know points on a graph. Think of it like a, a 2D mountain, right? Computers don't have eyeballs, right? Like humans can see, okay, that's the top of the mountain. But what computers have to do is they have to kind of like use math to kind of figure out where the top is. And what they do is they, they pick a random points, random amount of points on the bottom see whichever one's highest and just kind of like climb, you know, just move in the higher direction until you can't get any higher. And that's what we call a local minimum. Then you randomly pick another point, climb until, you know, hopefully you find which hill can, you know, has the most potential as is the highest point. Um, so that was kind of my mentality. I was going to try a bunch of random things and see what I enjoyed, pursue that see what I was good at, pursue that. If I wasn't good at it, randomly restart, try something else. Long story short, um, I ended up making TikToks for Avalanche. <laughs> so well, let's dig in a little bit to this because <laughs> what I hear from you is you're taking the mentality of being a professional athlete um, and the, I guess, 
the lack of, of fear of failure, right? If you work hard enough, you're going to figure something out. You're going to figure out your threshold, if you will. Um, and not a lot of people have that. A lot of people, myself included many times, will go into something new and there'll be, there'll be such a big fear of failure that you don't even really get started, right? Right. Um, that, that mentality has got to be coached into you to find kind of that like, that like push beyond the fear. Do you, right. Is it for you? Is it just second nature at this point where you're just kind of no, like, absolutely not. Okay. I, I would say this was learned by the hardest way possible. So going back into my, uh, my pro running journey, I learned the lesson of it's, it's really dangerous, especially if you're doing hard things. If you're doing, you know, easy stuff like, you know, going a pretty, pretty safe nine to five throughout the rest of your life, you can, you can value results pretty hard, right? Cause wins are probably easy and lot and, you know, lose losses are probably far, far in between. So you can, you can put a lot of emphasis on the end result, but whenever you get into doing things that are just extremely difficult, if you're trying to be in the top 0.5% of anything, really anything for me, it was, it was running, but this, this applies to anything. It's very, very dangerous to put a lot of emotion on the end result. Because just the nature of doing hard things, you're going to fail. You're going to work 100 hours on, on something that could give you nothing in return. Just the nature of hard things. So for me, um, trying to be in the, you know, the 0.5, the 0.1% of, of track and field, you know, I would, the sacrifices are immense. I don't really have to go into that. Just, you know, you, you kind of hear about it with the athlete's journey. Um, the sacrifices are immense. And I remember it was the final season. So I had, I had three seasons as a pro athlete. First season was terrible, but A, the excuse was I was just adjusting. I could get over it. Second season was terrible. Same excuse. I'm just adjusting. Third season, okay, no more adjusting. All right? Like this, this is, this is going to be the one. I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. And there's a lot of stones, right? So life was very miserable. Life was very, very miserable uh, doing that training, especially being in track and field, middle distance. It's just pain all day, being tired all the time. So go through all that sacrifice coming up to the first race. I don't think I've ever had more confidence in my life going up into this race. I, I had manifested the first race of the season. I'm going to hit the Olympic standard. I'm going to qualify for the best meets. I've done the work. It's going to happen. I believe in myself. I don't care if my legs don't agree with me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get on the starting line. I'm going to run the best race you've ever seen. I'm going to win it. It's going to be great. I deserve this. This is my fairy tale ending. I've gone through too much, right? You can see where this is going. Get on the starting line with that mentality. Like I, I've never been more excited for a race. First lap, it's going great. Second lap, let's finish the job. My legs just give up on me flounder it's like i'm swimming it's like i I, i'll never forget just being so confused just in last place coming down that home stretch and coming across the line i think this is like the most sober ego death you can have you know what i mean like i was just like what is life like this doesn't make any sense how i've you know this was my fairy tale ending this didn't happen i got last place in the race didn't even break my high school pr you know and I, i had worked so hard for it so Pretty much what that taught me was that if you're going for a 10, like if you're expecting a 10 out of something and you go up and you, and you fall short, you're not going to go down to a zero baseline like, ah, whatever. 
I wanted a 10. I didn't get it. I went to a negative 50, right? And it kind of spun me out for the rest of the season. Like I had, I had trouble like believing in myself. I had trouble doing the work. I just kind of became a bit of a brat um, to pick myself up from that loss. And so that kind of, that kind of taught me the dangers of putting so much emotion towards a result, especially when you're doing hard things, especially when it's something that you really, really want. So when I, I retired and I was just trying to just fail at as many things as possible, the mindset was that, okay, like I want to continue doing hard things. Like I still, you know, believe I have something great in myself, but I have to focus more on the results that it gives me as like building my knowledge base rather than building my follower count or building my professional relationship. So it's like, I'm just going to get good at being me and to get good at you. The easiest way to do that for me, at least is to just like fail at things and have those lessons just like nailed into your head rather than like reading a book where you get the ideas like, like, but it's not, it's not like as instinctual. Like lessons are way more instinctual and way more valuable if you learn them with action rather than, you know, if you just read a book. I'm not saying books aren't valuable, but I'm just saying um, I feel like it's more productive just to put in the work to to learn things rather than um, putting in the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, a lot of – you could draw parallels between a person who has four degrees – and has gone through the schooling versus someone that's run four businesses, right? A hundred percent. So the entrepreneur is more likely to succeed in the next business 99 times out of a hundred than the person who's got four degrees. The, the person with four degrees could be able to provide valuable insights. Um, they may be able to help in certain ways, but to be at that one position, you need the experiential just as much as you need the kind of like the learning side of it, the, I guess the content consuming side of it. And And, and not saying it's not valuable. Right. No, you need it. You need it. You build your base as you go though. You're going to, if you're looking at weighing two different things, experiential learning tends to add more value quicker. Right. If if you're doing it the right way. Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. I mean, I I deal 100%. with that with this podcast. I'm sitting here like empathizing with what you're saying. I'm like, you know, like I think about all oh, the time, 100%. like how do I get more viewers? How do I get more followers? It's like, well, yeah. Why don't you think about what it takes to get a lot? Like, what are the people with a lot of followers doing, right? And you know, they are forming their own viewpoints. They are producing content on a regular basis right? It's just, there's very much this period of content production. And I'd love to hear your thoughts when you started first at TikTok, making your TikToks around track and field versus now working for a company, what your mindset Mm -hmm. is like in order to reach a bigger audience, but you're shooting into the abyss, right? You're basically like building this resume of like, of just experience so that when you continuously produce for a certain amount of time, 
someone can go back. It's almost like someone can go back and see like, whoa, look at, you know, Avery's first videos versus like what he's done here. Right. right? right. Like, and, and that's just as important for your audience to see as it is, as it is for you to see. So I guess, yeah. How, 100%. how did you think about like, obviously you're like, I'm early to TikTok, which is a great thing. Right. I didn't even know TikTok was around in 2014, to be honest with you. Um, oh, 2019, 2019. 20, oh, you said 2014. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that would be crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so 2019 was, was early TikTok, um, pre-COVID mm-hmm. TikTok. Um, but like, what were your what was your mentality there? Because you you yeah. had kind of already had the experience where you didn't need to attach yourself to getting a ton of views or a ton of results. I imagine your focus was on producing the best possible content and getting better at producing sure. better content. So like what take me through that journey. For sure. So content when I was a runner was actually a lot easier than it is now for one simple reason. Is that I was in this space from the age of 14 all the way to 24. So at the time I was making TikToks, I think I was 22. But the mindset that I had is just 100%, maybe 99% just empathy, right? I would ask 16-year-old Avery, if you were, you know, back then, and if this app existed, what would you want to see on a runner? What, What questions do you have? And a lot of the questions, it wasn't like, oh, like, what is... What do college races look like? You know, because like you can just go on to YouTube, watch that. It's on TV, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know what college races look like. But since that was such um, such a mystical thing, what is everything around that? So the way I thought about content was using my, my um, access to D1 facilities, my access to D1 travel, and same thing with pro. How do I, how do I like answer those questions. So the videos that did the best, they weren't the race vlogs. They weren't the race videos. They weren't the, they weren't that. It was actually the travel videos. It was the entire team. We're all just dressed up in Georgia tech sweatsuits, making jokes, going to hotel rooms, having dinners. I would just record the hell out of that and make it seem like you were following there with me. So I would almost never show my face in the videos. I, it would just be me with a camera and, I, and you were just walking around like Avery. I would voice over stuff, crack jokes here. And so I would take you along the journeys, everything around the races, pre-race days, workouts, training room, you know, um, weight room, everything, everything, everything. So I kind of like, like built a great relationship with my audience there. And that was kind of how I thought about, thought about content and, and I did branch out of that, but that, that was, that was how I started. And then once I did that, like over time, just iteration, I learned what makes a good video without those cheat codes. So I did have a few like non-running niche videos, like go viral, like over a million views. Um, and, and the thought process with those is, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but just like think about like what do people want to watch? What's going to be interesting? What's going to be entertaining? So one thing that was that was good, and this is this is mainly like if you're going for a younger audience, this probably doesn't help you that much. Um, but one thing I did was there's this trend that was um, creators logging onto Snapchats and just like all the, their users' Snapchats. Uh, that was a big thing in high school. And then just like messing around with all their friends being like, wait, you're not this person. You're like really somebody else. And just like do fun things. So I did is I called the Snapchats game show where I would log on to somebody's Snapchat, 
and I would dress up in a suit like a game show host. And I said, whoever can put on the most shirts, I'll give you a hundred dollars. And I would send that out to like a hundred or like 200, like everybody in this guy's and this guy's message, right? Half the people wouldn't even open it because I didn't want to stand their Snapchat for too long. But then, you know, some people would literally, like in high school, it's $100 a lot. So some people would literally just put on 40 shirts recording themselves and send it to me. And so I would kind of have like a game show, like a virtual game show during COVID um, of like people doing fun things. And that was, that was kind of just like a combination of, you know, this trend, the Snapchat trend, and just classic game show stuff. But when thinking about Web3 content, the hardest part about this is how do you communicate all the cool things that are happening in the space? And I don't really, I don't think I need to go into what's cool in the space. You know, there's so many different angles you can take from metaverse, NFTs, DeFi. How do I take all these cool things and communicate them as clear as possible to the point that a five-year-old could get it. That is so hard. <laughs> Very. That is so hard. It's a huge technical hurdle. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And telling the stories in the space and, and whatnot. And just like, just like, you know, as again, just go through empathy. Like what do people want to hear? On one end of the spectrum, you want to hear people saying, oh, hey, this coin you own is going to go to the moon, therefore making you rich. But that stuff's pretty shallow. Yeah. Um, there's, and there's also like the whiteboard crypto stuff of just like educating stuff as simple as possible. Yeah. It's also difficult. And then there's just like the narrative stuff, which I feel like is doing the best right now. I feel like this stuff focused on narrative and what chains are doing and how they're competing with each other. I feel like that's the content that's doing the best in the in the bear market. So that's what I think about all the time. Yeah, that's interesting. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. What are what what are you focused on at, at Avalanche in order to facilitate the fun, simplistic kind of viewpoint and and build a consistent narrative over time? Yeah, hundred percent. So there's a few pillars that we're playing around with. One of them is so. This is more corporate. I'll start with the corporate run and then end with the fun and stuff. So the, the more corporate run is obviously we're trying to make our leaders as prominent and possible or and popular as possible. So that means Emin Gunsir, our founder, and then John Wu, our president. Um, we have a whole PR team training them to go on to CNBC, you know, Bloomberg, and kind of like have them explain these concepts in a great way that five-year-olds can understand it. So whenever they whenever they go out to all those things i clip the hell out of those out of those segments i clip the absolute hell out of those segments and those seem to do well people like seeing you know some rich looking dude on on tv that they may or may not know um say exciting things about the future it's as simple as that those videos seem to do well i i really enjoy those um and also also with those, one thing that I've been playing around with is captions. Um, so that's something I, I think I would recommend. I think that that could that could really really leverage uh, leverage your clips online is if you uh, if you put captions on them. Um, just because you know I feel like 
uh, just a small percentage of people go through all these social medias. Um, they're probably on the bus, they're in the car, they're just in between things. They're not, they don't always have headphones. So having good, clear, concise captions that not only give the information, highlight the keywords, but also kind of like communicate the pacing of what people are talking about that can, that can really, really leverage your videos. So, um, just, just, just something, uh, I would think about, um, just at, just some value and then going to the more fun stuff. What the one thing, the one videos that I love doing that seem to do well on TikTok is gaming videos. So right now we have so many, so many gaming partnerships, um, coming up almost too many for me to even be able to keep up with, but making videos on, on games, just, you don't really have to put much work into it. You just say, Hey, this is the game. Here's the cool features. Here's the things you can do with it. People just like to see that. So gaming does really, really valuable. Uh, gaming super, super valuable. Um, and just getting better at my storytelling and how do I pace those videos and how do I add the hook? That's, that's been, that's been a challenge. And then other than that, I've just been experimenting with different formats pretty constantly. So as I said, like, although like go back to the hill climbing algorithm, like, although I have a few pillars of videos that I know do well, I'm constantly doing those random restarts and saying, oh, hey, here's a random idea. I don't know if it's good. It's probably going to suck. I'm going to put 10, 20 hours into it, make it the best I can do, put it out there, see if it does well. Most of the time it doesn't, but sometimes it does well. And that kind of adds another pillar of different content I can make. I like that a lot. It's kind of the um, kind of the iterative approach, right? Where you exactly. are going in, uh, you're you're kind of moving fast and breaking things. You know, you're you're going in, you're trying mm -hmm. a thing. If it doesn't work, it, you move on. But you try it enough to get some sort of meaningful data as to whether so. you feel <laughs> like, yeah, it's, we're not talking, you know, like you said, ten to twenty hours of your time. Um, that's not making one video. That's not making three videos. That's, that's probably making 10 to 20 videos, right. And seeing yeah. <laughs> if, if, if any of those start to pick up steam, uh, and then moving on, I get countless suggestions on content, uh, on ways that, um, you could, I could just make this more entertaining, right? Not, not in this conversation. This conversation is about uncovering insights and, and it's mm -hmm. made for people that enjoy long form content and, and want to learn best practices. But in terms of building out the brand, having things like, um, you know, five minutes with a random person to ask you whatever they want to ask you about Web3. That might be interesting, right? Like ask away. It's yep. an AMA, AMA right? Um, but yeah, that, that's, that is, that is pretty awesome. Can you uh, just quickly tell us the uh, story of getting hired at Avalanche? <laughs> Cause yeah, I found yeah. that, that was awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this was, this was when I, when I, I, I guess I was calling it grind season, right? I, I finished my, uh, I finished the pro running career identity crisis. Let's see what else I can do. So there wasn't any thinking going on in my brain, really. It was just a lot of doing. And so I had done a few hackathons. I had, I had killed myself over a few bounties, had little success, but that was kind of expected. Then one day I was scrolling Twitter and I saw somebody I was following, I don't remember who, was retweeted the, uh, the CMO, the chief marketing officer of, of Avalanche, Avalabs, saying, hey, if you're into Web3, if you love traveling, if you have a friendly face, We'd love to hear from you. Make a one-minute video pitching yourself because we want 
to, to have someone go to all of our events and just basically make live content. I was like, well, that sounds cool because, you know, they have events in, you know, like South Korea. They have events in Barcelona and Colombia. So I'm like, that sounds cool. Right now I'm working a software engineering job, which I liked at the time. So it's not that I was like in a desperate spot looking for something else, but it just sounded cool. And I just literally, without thinking, I saw the tweet maybe five minutes after it came out. I had just finished, uh, just finished working out. So I was sweaty and I just straight up just made a video pitching myself. I was like, what's up? And I was being kind of cocky with it too. I was like, what's up? My name's Avery Bartlett. I'm a software engineer. I've gotten over 5 million likes on social media and I'm perfect for your job. And then I just kind of like went through the quick 30 second story of how I was a pro runner, how I was terrible at it, how I branded myself really hard, how I had an identity crisis, how in my free time I was just grinding out hackathons and what's up? My name is Avery. You can hire me if you want. I hope everyone else's video sucked. Sent that over and literally within like 30 minutes, Devin was just like, cool, let's talk. Two days later, hopped on a meeting. It was like, all right, you're the guy. And I'm like, uh, and and so honestly, it was kind of overwhelming going from a software engineer at a fortune five, fortune 50 company. It was, it was at home Depot. Uh, go, go big orange. Um, was at home Depot software engineer supply chain. I was one of 10 people on my team. The only person whose native language was English. And like when I was on camera, maybe 15 minutes a month, just talking to my boss or something just, and then going straight into marketing, making TikToks where it's, it's just straight content, you know, like <laughs> just like as much personality as possible traveling all over, you know, teams completely different. Um, so that, the transition was wild, but as I said, man, it's the greatest job ever. I'm so happy to be in this industry and I'm so happy that, uh, you know, these events unfolded the way they did. That's awesome, man. Um, let's talk a little bit about Avalanche. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know a ton about it. Um, mm-hmm. I know that I yeah, bought some some tokens when it started to become uh, a big deal, but like the deep sure. research lacked. Um, why don't you give us like the 30-second the high level and then anything else you yeah. want to share about, about the company? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, we think we have the best tech. Um, and I, I'll explain why. So... I'm going to take um, Ethereum as just the baseline of what an, a smart contract L1 is, right? Ethereum did a lot of lot of really, really, really great things. It uses Bitcoin's same consensus, but it added kind of a virtual machine so you can run code through it. Obviously, we know what the problems are. Don't need to repeat those too much. It's not completely scalable. Um, there are some issues with the virtual machine, just it being the first of its kind. It's not completely optimized. How how Avalanche kind of solves a few of its problems, or I guess what we call the, the blockchain trilemma of decentralization, scalability, and speed, is it has a new consensus algorithm called the Avalanche consensus. And you can think of this consensus algorithm as... So... Okay, so let, let's first describe classical consensus, then I'm going to describe Avalanche consensus, because that, that's pretty much that's the easiest way. So if you have a bunch of different nodes, let's say... 200 different nodes. Let's represent those as people in a company, okay? To get anything done, everybody in this company, all 200 people in classical consensus, they need to talk to each other. So each person has to talk to 100 other people to agree on one thing to get anything to be done, right? 
And a group of, of three people, classes, classical consensus works fine because you just have to talk to this person, talk to this person. You can, you know, figure something out and move forward, make a decision, right? And this is how, you know, and the metaphor is, is that, you know, this is how blockchains produce blocks or, you know, create, um, create trustful code. And let's say we have those 200 people and a way to make that more efficient is we use something called gossiping. So let's break all 200 of these people into groups. Okay. So instead of me having to talk to all 199 other people to make an agreement, I'm just going to talk to five other people. So I'm just going to talk to literally five other people randomly, just random five people in the group. We agree on something. And then I'm going to talk to another five random different people and see if we agree on something. Essentially breaking the company into teams, right? And all you need is one person of the different teams to talk to each other. So one group of five needs to have overlap with another group of five to make sure it's still, it's still one company. So that's kind of how it works. So imagine we have a group of 200. I talk to five different random people. We agree on something. I talk to another five different random people. We agree on something. And until that confidence kind of becomes high, um, you know, it's, 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 that's how we kind of maintain consensus. And the cool thing about this is that it works and it's scalable. So I only need at, at, at max. So if we make that 200, 200,000, I still only need to talk to a, a portion of that 200,000, not 50%, way less than that to reach consensus just because of the random sampling. Hopefully that made sense. So that's one thing that makes it unique, but that's not our biggest selling point. There are plenty of fast L1s out there that have figured out how to make Ethereum fast and scalable. That's really not the coolest part about us. The coolest part about us is the concept of subnets. And this is where we think we have the biggest advantage right now in Web3, okay? Even with this incredible consensus algorithm, we still don't think there's one single chain that can encompass all of Web3. The, the transactions of all the different use cases of it, whether that be, I mean, if we do it for just like monetary transactions, if we want to do it with gaming, if we want to use one chain um, for DeFi and all this different stuff, if this becomes mass adopted, there's just no mathematical way that one chain can support this load. So with the concept of subnets, we allow anybody to spin up their own chain using our avalanche consensus and all our great tech without having to spend millions of dollars figuring out, you know, which place they want to take from which virtual machine, blah, 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 blah. We give people tooling to create their own blockchain in the avalanche ecosystem that they can do whatever rules they want with. So governments, let's say China's super, super strict. They, they have a lot of rules they want. An avalanche subnet would be perfect for them because they can have their own blockchain with their own rules. They can have KYC if they wanted to. They can say well, this, that, this, that. You can only transact X many times a day. We give them the tooling to do that. And so there's two subnets live with users right now there's the DeFi kingdom subnet which is a, a a game that was on harmony but to scale they came to an avalanche subnet so they have their own set of validators they have their own set of rules they have their their native token is gas so they don't even need to no one needs to own avalanche to use DeFi kingdoms they just need to have the jewel token which is the native for DeFi kingdoms to be able to use um that chain so it's its own ecosystem and same with Kerbata, it's it's a similar, it's an NFT game as well that has a 
similar mechanics. So right now for gaming, we're, we're a pretty attractive choice because it's very web two to web three friendly. So all you need to do is buy whatever game's native token. They can write whatever rules they want. They can make it as scalable as they want. Um, even if they want to do gasless, they could do that. And they can also pick the vir virtual machine. Our engineering team is working hard on expanding so that you don't have to just use the EVM or the Ethereum virtual machine. You can use other virtual machines. You can make your own virtual machine, um, which there's a bunch of different use cases for. Um, so the real pitch of Avalanche is is subnets. So if you think of Cosmos and the... That's and, what I was going to ask. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> nice that's, intuition. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that that so Cosmos has done a great job, you know, really just, you know, a, a lot of admiration to Cosmos and what they're doing. Um, but that's that's kind of our biggest our biggest competition in the app chain thesis. It's interesting. So you like if I, if I relate this back to web two, um, it's, it's a platform, right? Um, it's, it, it is a place for people to go and leverage your technology to build their own ideas. Right. Similar to AWS, right? Yeah. So we're just, we're just, we're, we're trying to be the, uh, the hammer and the nail. So I guess, you know, like one of the, 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 the trilemma, if you will, of Ethereum is that the reason they use the, the one of the reasons they use the consensus module the way they do is because they want uh, everybody to vote because it's safer. Uh, in this sense, the trade-off is you 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 need less people for consensus, so it's more efficient, it's more scalable. But those people or those nodes that you are pinging are random, so if someone were to want to corrupt that decision-making process, if you will, yep. you wouldn't know which of the many millions of nodes uh, or however many nodes there are to corrupt <laughs> because every right. time it, it's random groups. Right. Right. So, so I guess, I guess we're referring to is like, what's called like a 51% attack. Yeah. So, you know, so if you have 51% of the uh, Ethereum nodes, or I guess the staked Ethereum now, I think, um, then that would be the uh, that would be I guess a fifty one percent attack. I think if you do the math of Avalanche, I think you need like 80 percent of the nodes to be able to successfully successfully take over the network. So it's yeah, it's also we also pride ourselves for being for being more secure. What's what's Avalanche's take on the centralization versus decentralization um, kind of uh, argument there? Sure, sure. So j just like a, a, a small. Um, I guess, note, I, I don't know what to say, but I, 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 Avery's just speaking for Avery. Now, now, now that it's over with. Um, <laughs> I'm actually not getting trouble by spoke for are, Avalanche. Yeah, these yeah. are not the opinions this of is, Avalanche. This is the yeah, opinion or whatever. of yeah. Avery. <laughs> yeah, that's in my it's in my bio. I forget like what exactly Verbers want me to say, but yeah. something along those lines is these are the opinions of Avery, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. so obviously, obviously, Decentralizes better. So our our CEO Emin Gunsir, he's been in the space, the the distributed system space, longer than I would longer than almost anybody. So uh, a, a nice anecdote of of his, I guess, merit. You know, the the man who helped create the consensus, the man who helped you know found the uh, found the entire chain, is in two thousand three he came up with something called uh, Karma which was a proof of work currency that was 
looking to solve the problem of, um, I guess, what's, what's known now as torrenting, but of how people shared software back in the early 2000s with like Napster and LimeWire, where, you know, you'd have a file on your computer and you would essentially seed it or you would host it for other people to have. Um, but the problem with that is, well, you got a bunch of free music, but the problem with it is that people were downloading way more than people were hosting. And so because it needed to be decentralized and it needed to have enough people hosting that the system wouldn't, wouldn't clog up as it often did, he created, I guess, something called karma. So you would essentially earn currency for hosting whatever file you wanted, whatever movie you wanted on your, uh, on your computer. Well, I shouldn't say movie because then it implies that it was illegal, but I'm sure he had contended for it. But uh, hosting whatever file on your computer, you, you would get rewarded for it to encourage decentralization and encourage trust. And then you would spend those tokens to download other stuff. Point being there, I guess, going into the uh, decentralization argument is it's kind of like founded in his his core beliefs and kind of like what he's always stood for. He, he's had some early, early um, contributions to I guess like like Bitcoin. There's some very very important papers on Bitcoin. Um, and going further into that, part of the whole reasons he made the avalanche consensus is to kind of like solve a, a problem where where you could have a, a scalable solution that was also decentralized. Um, I'm, I'm trying to you know I'm, I'm trying to think of I guess uh, I guess better ways to to nail this down, but I guess coming from just a just a marketer and knowing his story, um, the, you know, just saying our, our, our founder's core belief in our, in his history, um, kind of emphasizes the, the design choices that he made when, when creating, creating, uh, creating avalanche. Okay. And yeah. So, no, I mean, that's totally yeah. fair. I mean, it's, I guess that what I was getting at is that, uh, a common topic that comes up in order to, um, put web three, into the mainstream is like this, this kind of identity crisis with decentralist maxis and yeah. uh, people that just want adoption. Right. Uh, and, and the theory that I, okay, I prescribe to is progressive decentralization, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but um, it is the practical approach in my opinion, which is when you start a company, you're still a startup. Right. You're not immediately a DAO uh, or else no decisions get made. You have to have leadership. You have to have vision. You have to be able to make decisions without considering just like the consensus algorithm, just without considering every single person in the room or else you get nothing done. So go Mm -hmm. do that. Find product market fit. Once you've found product market fit, if your mission is to be decentralized, then you start to find meaningful contributors. Right. And you start to decentralize through those meaningful contributors. And then after you've done that, then you start to figure out how can I loop in the community to certain decisions that we feel like will be helpful. Does that I make see sense? what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. That, 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 that is interesting. Because um, I know kind of like like the workflow we have for, I guess, you know, still from the um, perspective that we are AWS, um, while while we, we do definitely like 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 we're still building the avalanche chain so updates on the entire chain still happen but we don't own every validator by any means right so it's just something that people 
can opt into opt out it's not forced we can't stop the chain there's no button we can hit to stop the chain there's no button we can hit to you know lock things up and make decisions on it there's absolutely no button because it's all up to the validators but obviously there's still a lot more to be done as far as technology goes as far as building the chain as far as making subnets is as easy as possible to onboard so there, there's definitely still um some changes being made by the you know the, the avalanche or avalabs who are you know trying to maintain this chain um so there definitely is yeah a, a, a middle a middle balance right like there's no software updates going to bitcoin and that's what one thing that makes it so great uh, but that's also one thing that you know people are most frustrated with is because it's you know, it, it, it was made for 2008, right? Not 2022. So is it the fastest, most eco-friendly chain on the planet? We love it. We love it for what it is. We love it that it's decentralized. We love that no one can touch it, but it's, it's, it's not those things. Um, so we feel like to compete and to kind of be able to make the difference that we want in this world, competing against such uh, amazing products, you know, such amazing competition, you know, there, there does have to be an ability to say, hey, we have this great upgrade coming. Validators are if you're if you're OK with this, let's let's go through with it. So. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a middle ground. Definitely. So let's switch gears a little bit. We're, we're coming up on the top of the hour. Um, I've got two traditional closing questions I always ask, but I, I've got to ask you one more question about uh, the way that uh, Avalanche or Avalabs thinks about the role of community and brand. How do you think about that? So I feel like commute, I feel like we've, we've done a great job. This is before I was in the company. This was, this was, you know, the people that started it and kind of what got me so interested in avalanche. I think they've done a great job with community. They put so much emphasis, so much, so much passion to listening to the community, to building them up. If they have projects coming up, we will help them any way we can. I just came from San Francisco with something called Avalanche Creates, where we had a bunch of projects thinking about building on the chain or already building on the chain. We had our CEO fly out. We had Goon fly out. We had our VP of engineering, one of the smartest you've ever been in the same room as, just come to all these, pro- you know, talk to all these projects, say, hey, what are you working on? How can we help? We also have VCs. If you do a great job, like pitch to them. We, we set it all up. So, and it's also just in our best interest to make the community as strong as possible. If we are trying to be, you know, more of a, an AWS and we're trying to have the, build the hammers, we're trying to, you know, build the tools for people to build what they want. It is absolutely in our best interest to do everything we can for the community. And that's even half of my job. Half of my job is reaching out to people saying, hey, what are you working on? Let's co-market it. Let me, let's let's use our platform to, to bump up whatever software you're on. Let's use my platform, our platform, um, to try and show people all the cool things that you're working on. So it's like selfishly so important for us to do everything we can to build the community and to make sure there's as many uh, red triangle emojis on Twitter as possible. (laughs) I didn't know that was your thing. (laughs) This will definitely be part of my tweet out. Um, And it's interesting, like you view yourself as uh, an enabler, as, uh, as, as building an ecosystem where the community should feel safe building in your space, knowing that you've got their back. 
right? Mm -hmm. Knowing that you're going to enable them as much as you possibly can, because it is not a zero sum game for Avalabs. It is a positive sum game. When they succeed, you succeed. Exactly. Uh, which is really cool. Well, uh, I really appreciate the time today. I've got my two final closing questions. Uh, the first one is, how do you describe Web3? That's a good one. There's many, many different angles. Okay. So it allows anybody in the world to access the best computing power with the biggest audience possible. So I could be in, I don't know, Antarctica, have a great idea of way to decentralize Uber write a great smart contract, deploy it onto Ethereum with no one's permission but my own. If I do a good job marketing, it's the best code possible. As long as it's good code, as long as it's a good experience, it's going to do well, right? I don't, need to, I don't need to worry about getting an AWS account, getting a Google Cloud GCP account. I don't have to worry about anything. And anybody in the world can access this code and not only access it, but also build upon it. So... I, I feel like it's just a more composable internet, a more accessible internet, and uh, a, a way for open source ideas to kind of have a compounding effect into the future. Um, there's there's so many different angles I can answer that question from. Um, I literally like just made a video about this, um, but kind of wanted to spin my own spin my own definition on it. But but yeah, simply just uh, an, an, an internet accessible, owned by everyone, orchestrated by a token. I love that. So it's I love that. Yeah. Uh, my final question is forward looking. Uh, where do you see yourself and Web3 as an industry uh, in six to 12 months? And where do you see yourself and Web3 in the next five to 10 years? Awesome. So hopefully in the next, in the next few months, I'm going to be doing the exact same thing, just a lot better at it. I'll know a lot more of what the audience wants. I'll be a lot better at video editing. Just I'll just be just better at my job, doing the exact same thing, but doing better at the job. Next five to 10 years, obviously that's a guessing game. I don't even like making predictions that far out for, for any reason. Be fun. Okay, okay. So is this for me or is this for the industry? Both. Okay. So for the industry, I, I, I want, let's say... I think it's reasonable to say I want 40% of all computing to kind of go through the blockchain in the world, 40%, which is a ton. Right now, it's probably less than one. I think 40% of all the computing, of all businesses, of all monetary policy, of all financial trans- transactions accessible to anyone in the world going through the blockchain. It doesn't have to, I guess... I would say going through Web3 because I guess blockchain is kind of becoming outdated because, you know, you have companies like HBAR not even using blockchain. So I'll just say going through Web3. And for me, uh, that's impossible. (laughs) That's an impossible, absolutely impossible question. Um, Hopefully I'll still be in marketing. I love marketing. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 I can say what you don't want to say. You want, what to, be run, I want to say? You want to be running marketing at a, at a great company like Apple Labs. That would be cool. Maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> it's just because if you asked me Avery five years ago what I'd be doing, I don't think web, the word Web3 existed. I don't think 
TikTok existed. So it's like, what's going to exist in the future, you know, that I'll be interested in, you know? That's fair. That's fair. But you do know that you, you like the marketing aspect I do, of whatever I love it is marketing. you'll be doing. Yeah. I love marketing. Yeah. Maybe I'll be, uh, I'll be running marketing for the, uh, the, the United States of America subnet. <laughs> awesome man well it's been a pleasure having you on avery yeah it's been man. a super fun conversation and i'm super glad to to know yeah. a fellow atlanta blockchain uh person um so thanks yeah absolutely zach yeah it's it great to flex these muscles again man They're, they feel weak but you know I, I love podcasting so it's awesome absolute pleasure all right thanks man thanks for tuning in to web3 with me If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore French underscore.